Mana 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 this is social discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I'm Brandon, aka Brandon. I hope you're well. My guest is a returning one, having previously been on episode 114. He's an actor, writer, comedian, musician, and podcaster who, since we last and first, for that matter, spoke, has released the great album To the Victory of the Spoils, as the band Wayne and Rodney started the very funny CBB Presents podcast, You Can't Handle This Loose. Performed at the Edinburgh Improv Festival, been on the Late Late Show, been to Fenway Park, bought the Mississippi River, and many other things too innumerable to mention. Please welcome back Will Hines. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I, I like how I appreciate how diligently you researched that. I, I really do. That was really nice. This goes back to us being our, our mutual journalist majors. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And so being that, it's the it's like the one time I'm like, well, I can utilize this thing that I don't otherwise <laughs> in any way use. Well, I appreciate it. It's fun to come up with, too. Yeah. So there's that. You just made me feel better about my year. I was like, yeah, I have done a lot of stuff. That's pretty good. I didn't even include, yeah, you went to Liverpool on top of that. Like you, oh, yeah. You've done quite a bit. It's, yeah, uh, you're right. You've crammed right. a lot in, in a, you know, after we all went on relative stasis for, you know, at least yeah. the better part of one year. Yeah. Yeah. You've done a lot. It's impressive. All right, cool. I feel good. I'm my, I'm puffing my chest out. Okay, good. <laughs> at the very least, if anything, it's so long as the, at the very least, out of this you can get some kind of like, okay, right, get a pep in your step from an intro, if anything, then that's a win. We all win. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I've always wanted my life to sound good summarized. Like, I'm, I'm saying that kind of as a joke, but it's sort of true. Like, I like it when, when the bullet points of what I'm doing sounds all right. I like it too, yeah, because like when it's kind of in this, little collated list you're like hey that's not bad actually you know you yeah, do them yeah. in isolation but then together you're like huh never really had them all grouped together it's yeah pretty good that's pretty good yeah that'd make a fairly compelling wikipedia article if one were so inclined <laughs> so here we go it's pretty good <laughs> as a starting point as we as might as well do it Somewhere to start. Cat just jumped on the counter. There she is. Okay. Anyway, hello, cat. Jasmine says hello. She's probably gonna rub <laughs> up against. Well, she's getting as close as she physically can. This is incredible. <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> the uh, easy to ask, difficult to answer questions, plural now. But how are you, and how have you been? I love it. Um, I am pretty good. Um, and uh, I've been. I have been sort of uh, scattered. You know, you, you, were, you were mentioning that people were in stasis for the better part of a year uh, in Los Angeles. It was really like two years because like the all the lockdowns and stuff were kind of on the stricter side, uh, even though not everybody obeyed them. It still meant there wasn't as much going on. But it, it finally kicked loose this March, I would say, um, and where like things really returned and stayed back. Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, like doing comedian stuff, like venues and per- live performances and classes. That that's kind of what I'm thinking about when I say things came, things came back. And so, okay, great, I love it. I missed it. I'm glad it's back. I'm excited doing it all. Um, but it also means I'm like scattered. I'm at a crossroads. I'm like, ah, oh, I feel. I I always like doing stuff and doing projects and getting stuff done, and I'm sort of torn over what to focus on um, i'd say is that what it is it's more of a okay oh wow now that ever now that i have all of these options 
which one do I narrow yeah. it down to or which one do I exactly. put more of my energy into at this point? Right. What what do I work on? What do I not work on? I mean, it's kind of fun. It's not like a bad problem or anything, but it, I do get, I'm feeling that FOMO, like that fear of missing out of the stuff I don't do. Yeah. I feel a little paralyzed by choice. I mean, one of the sort of silver linings of uh, being locked up for a pandemic is you don't have a lot of choices. You sort of have to make do with certain things. And in a way that's, uh, relieving. It's a relief. It's like, well, I got to do, I can only do X, so I'll do X. But now it's like, oh, you can do X, Y, Z, A, B, or C. What do you want? And I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I have for me, as a, uh, yeah, yeah. Like as a performer, I do stand up and I do improv comedy. And I'm way more experienced and accomplished at the improv comedy side. But I'm sort of more interested in getting better at stand up, where I'm like, you know, very much a, a newbie. Um, and so to increase your skill, at something that you're not good at, that you don't have like a network of people in, uh, that takes time. That takes time and effort and focus. Uh, improv is sort of the path of least resistance. And I also kind of make my living teaching classes. I still enjoy it by the way. I'm just, it's maybe not as like exciting to me, um, like artistically, I guess, because I've done it a lot. Um, but it's my living. And so I want to like maintain a standing in the improv community, but that's already like all my time, right? If I'm trying yeah. to do those two things, um, it's okay. This, no, this isn't like a bad thing or like a problem or whatever, but it's just, it leaves me in a state of, I'm constantly preoccupied with what should I be doing right now? <laughs> like time management kind of stuff. And that's, I, you know, like you said, that is a great problem to have, but there's still, it's still a problem. It's still something you have to deal with to manage that to figure out what that thing is. And I know that I, as somebody who can absolutely suffer from analysis paralysis, sometimes you have so many things you have to figure out like that, yep. which one out of this, and they all kind of cancel each other out sometimes of like, what is that? Yep. And then you realize maybe you're spending all of your downtime not doing those things, think about which of those things you should be doing. Yep. So then it's just like this this kind of endless feedback loop of sorts. Yep, no, that's it, yeah. What do I do here? Yeah, uh, so that's an analysis paralysis is a great term for it. And um, so if you say, you know, how am I, how have I been, that, that I've kind of just been dealing with that, like trying to make choices, trying to make forward motion on stuff. Um, I mean, I, I I really enjoy picking projects and doing them. Um, but um, sort of there's a challenge uh, in doing stuff, which is basically like how good do I want it to be versus how long do I want to spend on it? Hmm. And, you know, I do a lot of stuff, but sometimes that's because I'll just churn it out. Um, but, and and sometimes I'll try to bear down on something and like really improve the quality and, Sometimes I'm not able to improve the quality. Sometimes I have to accept like, gee, I don't think I know how to do this any better than I'm doing right now and I got to let it go. So my brain is like in this kind of, that's, that's, that's how I am and that's how I've been. It's not bad, not bad. It's just scattered. Just I'm a little scattered and sort of frazzled, not, not freaking out, just a little. I think when people talk to me lately, I'm a little distracted. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. I that's mean, fair right. enough. Yeah, that, sure. I, I I definitely would rather, you know, no, you know, I was about to say, I'd rather have this than this alternative. But then again, I mean, that's always the case for 
regardless of what the thing is, there's always something that could be better or worse. So, yeah, like whatever. But right, right, right. The stand-up thing seems exciting, though. I mean, not that anything else. Oh yeah, that you're doing isn't. But no, it is. It's really, it's real interesting, and it's something that people have heard of. Like, you know, if I'm doing like an improv comedy show, it's uh, there's just not a huge audience for it. It's not a known thing. um, Yeah. As much as like stand-up. Um, so yeah, that is, that is kind of an exciting, an exciting thing. I was curious about that too, that like, um, you know, I know that in, in LA, like, um, like Improv Olympic went under. That's right. UCB went under, but apparently it's coming back in September. I think somebody told me. I think it's going to come. Yeah. You, I think they're trying to get shows going again in September in LA. Okay. So that is coming back and it does seem like other like improv shows, at least a couple of smaller ones have popped up in certain like alcoves of LA from what I've seen online. Yep. Which no, is pretty sure. cool. Yeah. But then stand-up shows are always, you know, the, you, to your point about like people knowing what you're talking about or what that means of like stand-up as opposed to improv and the ubiquity of stand-up, at least relative to improv that I would think that, yeah, that you're probably able to more easily indulge wanting to do stand-up, which helps because it seems like you're really interested in getting better at that that right now than improv in LA. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, the improv infrastructure is kind of really rebuilding. Um, and stand-up is the same as it ever was. There's just tons of shows and bars and clubs. Um, so, yeah, that, that that actually is how I got back into it last June, June 2021, um, so a year ago. When right before the Delta wave hit was one of the first waves of things opening up out here in Los Angeles. Um, truly for the first time since the pandemic started at, at that at that moment, um, like wow. clubs and stuff and shows and the improv theaters were not operating at all. And the little places that have since popped up had not popped up yet. So there was no improv. But stand up did come back. Open mics, booked shows, the the full on you know, comedy clubs that are two drink minimum brick wall places. They, you know, they all, everything came back. So I started doing stand up in June, 2021. I mean, I had done it as a dabbler for a long time, but I was so eager to get back out and do anything performance wise that I ran to do all these open mics, uh, in, in June of 2021 and July. Delta hit a lot of the places shut down, but all the stand up kept going. So I kept going and I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and you're right. So I kind of did that just because for a while there, it was the only game in town if you wanted to perform on upstage. Um, and so then the improv little indie theater started emerging, filling that void left by UCB and IO closing. And I'm, I'm doing that too. I'm doing that too. But I already got this momentum on these dumb little stand-up shows I run to. So uh, I guess that, that's kind of how they evolved. Is the nature of your stand-up, is it more like, quote-unquote, like traditional stand-up? Is there conceptual stuff in it? Yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty like, this is me, here's an observation, here's something I noticed, here's a funny take on that. Or at least that's what I try to be. I just did a show last night, and, you know, my stand-up is real hit or miss. And I have a lot of stage confidence just from years of doing improv, but my mm. material's really muddy. I, I don't have a good grasp on kind of like what my plan is I, I like that challenge I'm I'm okay with that I mean it's no fun to do a show and think you could do better yeah but like I it's all right like I it's, I, I like that learning process but my stuff is 
pretty, uh, yeah, definitely traditional. It's definitely like, hi, I'm a real person talking to you as myself, and here's my thoughts on things. Because that's what I was curious about. Like, does does stand-up versus improv for you, is it more using, like, a different side of the comedic brain? Is it a similar thing? Mm -hmm. Are you scratching a similar itch, or is it just a different challenge? Totally different itch. Totally different itch. Like, it's like, stand-up for me is like, here I am. This is me. I mean, it's kind of an ego narcissism thing. I'm like, oh, this is all me here. Yeah. And if something's funny, it's because I've managed to cast a spell. Uh, Improv is a lot more reacting to other things. Like, oh, here's... Here's my reaction to this snowball that just got created while we're rolling down a hill. And stand-up's more like, I bring up this topic, and here's what I think about it. Now I bring up this topic, and here's what I think about it. Um, so it feels really different to me. It's um, like playing basketball versus playing tennis. You're, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's they're just both me out sports. There. And, yeah, oh, just, yeah, yeah, right just, right, me, right. just me out there versus on a team game and the rhythm and yep. the chemistry being what it is. And yep. Or for some reason, a starting pitcher is what came to mind. But I guess um, the isolation factor is just you out there, and it's yeah, all it's just you. It's yeah. on your you you initiate things. You you set you you're calling the the play. Uh, just you yourself. I mean, even if there's a catcher there recommending it, you you do what you want ultimately. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a good metaphor. Uh, basketball is definitely a great metaphor for what improv feels like. Um. There's moments of, uh, lots of moments of solo effort, but you are, you know, really dependent on the team, um, what the team's doing and what the team's approach is. Uh, I mean, that's that's really fun in its own way. But la- last night I was doing, I did a set, stand up club, small stand up. I mean, I'll, I only do small places, um, small places and like open mics. Like truly, I am on the lower rungs of the L.A. stand up scene. I don't mm-hmm. mind. I just. I don't know. Some people they hear stand up and they they think Netflix special, you know, big comedy club with a packed house. Yeah. No, no. Think back of the bar, seven people performing, eight people in the audience, seven of which are the performers. Think um uh little coffee shop where yeah, there's like 10 real audience members and 10 comedians, you know, small stuff like that. And all, and all the comedians are pretty new. There's not a ton of performers who have that real confidence. So the show is free or really cheap because it, it just isn't good enough to really charge charge for anything more. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't mind this. I like all this, but um, there, there's a real there's a real like apprentice level of stand up that's very not glamorous and a pain in the butt that I think <laughs> I think people don't necessarily picture when they think stand up. Yeah, it's like the time where. Your favorite comedian bombed. Yeah, yeah. In that it, it's the early stages and they're getting their reps and they're figuring out what their voice is and who they want to be on stage. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe they want to be the same person on and off or maybe they want to be whatever persona, but it's, you got to put the reps in. Like, it's, yeah, it's all the stuff you don't see. There's so many shows that they do. Dear God. Yeah. Probably that's true for any entertainment thing. You know, there's like some level of getting your reps, doing your gigs that they all kind of suck. But you're getting better. Like you know, they're fun in their own their own way. Yeah. So I'm doing those, and I was doing one last night, and start. I'm I'm looking for when I do improv, because I've done so much of it. I'm pretty comfortable right away. I have my point of view handy, kind of no matter what happens in the scene. 
I have some opinions, some ways to relate to it, you know, just from years of doing it, right? Then I do stand up and I don't have that same orientation. I'm like, wait, wait, what do I want to talk about? I find myself searching for that same like certain certainty of point of view and I don't have it. Last night and the and the last couple times I've done it, I've started to get a sense of myself like as a character while I'm doing it. Like it's still me, but mm-hmm. it's like a persona version of me. Okay. Um it's like a little bit posed. You know, like 80% real me, 20% kind of exaggerated um, for the sake of just being funny. Um, That's interesting. And I'm getting, it's like some kind of like grouchy guy who's a little fed up in a, in a non-confrontational way and a little bit of a pushover, like a, like a beta grouch. <laughs> Uh, is some somewhere in there it, that's not untrue totally from from who I am but there's a way to like play that as almost like a comedic archetype and if I could get a handle on that and filter everything through that I think I would be I would escalate in my stand-up performances right away that's it's got to be authentic it can't be like I can't just like decide what I wanted to be and do it I have to like play myself the way I kind of naturally am. Um, and, but I, but I still need a little bit of a character somehow and I'm figuring it out. And I, I think I might be in a phase of figuring that out and it is exciting. I'm, I I think it's fun. I'm looking forward to keeping, keeping on figuring it out. It kind of feels like, yeah, you're, you're unlocking something there. That's really interesting. You know, in the sense of, um, yeah, there's a little bit of a more performative aspect to it without betraying any of the things you still want to communicate that you were communicating before. But maybe there's like the prism of a little bit of a character. So you're kind of, you know, in a way, maybe like um, marrying those two things a little bit. You know, you're yeah. kind of using a little bit of the, that improv muscle memory to mm-hmm. to add to your stand-up, which is a really cool idea. I hope that's what that's what it feels like is happening, and I hope I hope that's true. And yeah, I think that's well said. It is like marrying a little improv, muscle memory, performance, charactery stuff with just like saying real things. I mean, I kind of think every maybe not every. There's tons of exceptions, but lots and lots of stand-ups that you see, they basically are doing a character version of themselves. Yeah, um, they're comfortable with it. They're having fun with it. It's not totally untrue. It's just like a little bit exaggerated. Um, and, and it's fun and the audience can kind of just relax and enjoy it. Um, and I guess I'm looking for mine. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm getting there. I'd say, I, I think they all, I think to your point, they all do it with certain exceptions. So, I mean, some people are real high concept, total character put ons, like it's just a, almost a weird anti-comedy thing going on. Yeah. Like the joke is, can you, like Steve Martin in the late 70s, his stuff was just completely fake persona, almost making fun of the fact that he was doing a stand up routine. Yeah. Um, and that was the fun, right? That was part of the fun. Like he got there where he could like cast that spell. Um, you know, and some people, some people 
on the you know there's other some people like musical comedians they get up there with a guitar they play little parody songs they've written um their own personality doesn't enter into it it's like they're they're just they got these little products they're presenting to you their their songs or something um uh, and sometimes people literally do do characters in stand-up shows they're like all right now i'm gonna do I'm going to show you my gym teacher from high school or whatever. And now, you know, this is like what a British rapper sounds like. And they kind of just do characters and impressions. You know, if they're good at it, people are down with that. That That's its own thing. But I guess I'm looking to play the character of Will Hines once I, <laughs> once I get a better grip on what he is, sort of. Yeah, but maybe it'll just be a little bit more Will Hines but with, like, quotation marks around it. Right, exactly. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. Will Hines. You know, I yeah. yeah, to your point, though, it's all... Ideally, it's all some form of entertainment, but it's like, what, which prism do you want to go through? Do you want to go through like who I am on stage is who I am off stage and vice versa? And even then, I mean, there's still a performative element to all of it. Like, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld being whatever he is. I know that's a random example, but I think that I think how he thinks and how he talks on stage is the same thing as how what he is off. Like, uh, but I think he's I think also so like too. Kind of, yeah, I think that's pretty much who he is. But, but he's still making he's still saying it presenting it in as an and as in as an entertaining way as possible so it's yeah, still with the consideration of of that in mind totally i mean he's he seems pretty naturalistic but like if you, you know when you hear interviews with him there are sides of him that are really clear in an interview that are not so not not at the forefront of his stand up you know he's like um He's very like practical and business like and sort of calculating and his stand up self is a little bit more aw shucks. Like, hey, yeah. I'm just this is just what I noticed, folks. And then in his <laughs> interviews, he's like uh, he's like thought a lot about like how to be successful and what brings quality stuff to the you know, how do you do quality stuff in entertainment? Um I think he's a little bit meaner in his interviews than he is in his stand-up stuff. I don't think this means that he's mean or whatever. I have no idea what the person is like, but he can just be a bit more cutting uh, in his interviews than, than he is on stage. The other thing about him on stage that I think is interesting is he's really into, um, you know, written swaths of dialogue. Like he loves particular turns of phrase. Yeah. And like, and like, he does, he likes going into momentary like parodies of genres um uh like he'll just do something like you know being married we're out here on the road uh, we're like in the shit we're like in the military trying to get IEDs out of the road driving it and he'll, like he cut to some this was his last Netflix show and he cuts to a little metaphor of a what it's like to be married is like to be driving a truck through a war zone wondering when you're going to get bombed next and trying to survive. Uh, and he like was wiping the sweat off his brow and in describing this war metaphor is using a lot of very colorful purple prose. And I was like, this dude likes writing. He likes just words. Which um, I appreciate. I like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of the fun, right? That's, uh, and that was evident in the Seinfeld show, you know, like, particular phrases were like the stars of the show a lot close talker um you know um 
I got the tap. Oh, you got the tap. Oh, the tap. Like, um, you know, just so that's those. Are, that's the way he likes to cast a spell. Um, in a way, that's a persona. In a, some way, like there's like that's not the real him. That's just that's him putting on a show. I think so. Uh, yeah, I think there's absolutely like Jerry Seinfeld in in stand up mode. Absolutely, like it's not a guy who's just rolling out of bed and going on stage. He is methodical and he's inc- incredibly prepared. Just like like you know George Carlin. I watched that documentary the other day. I, I watched that too. I thought it was. I loved it. I thought it yeah, was I really it interesting. Too. I loved it too. And, I really enjoyed it. And to your point about Seinfeld, how like he is. And maybe it's just a matter of like the day they had, the day they talk to him, but sometimes he comes off like fine and that's cool in his interviews, and sometimes he comes off bitter and almost resentful of anybody who's not a comedian. And yeah, and it's kind of a bummer because I heard somebody describe him one time as a sore winner. Oh, is this Seinfeld you're talking about? Yeah, I heard somebody yeah. describe him as a sore winner one time, and I. And again, maybe it's just a matter of I'm looking, I'm watching either the right or the wrong, depending on your sure. respective interviews. But I was like, man, that yeah, that seems kind of like it fits him. But then again, he's in yeah. that he's in that Carlin documentary, and when they ask him, like, he says something like, nobody should take anything, any serious thing, or like a yeah, like something that, that they shouldn't be considered philosophy. Like, no, right, right. He he you blanched know? at that. It was like yeah. one of the tenets of the thing was that Carlin was like a philosopher and a commentator on society in addition to being funny. And Seinfeld kind of like resisted that. He's like, ah, I don't agree that comedians are the philosophers. I don't, I don't think that's true. He was really into Carlin's preparedness and yes. specificity and his, his, how well, how, how totally written his bits were. He loved that. But he, he, yeah, he really wasn't into the comedian as philosopher thing. Because I think it was, I, I, I think they showed Chris Rock who was like, well, we didn't, we don't have philosophers anymore, which isn't true, but at all. Yeah. By right, the way, right. <laughs> like you didn't re- replace anybody. There's that still is a thing. You just don't have like a, a, some kind of like Socrates out there, who's this preeminent thinker that you think about all the time, who's dominating a world or whose writings are. And he so he's like, yeah, so that's pretty much the modern comedian. And then I think they cut to Simon who was like, no, and I didn't expect yes. that from him, honestly, just based on some of the things I've seen. Or whatever, what I perceived of him. Anyway. I didn't expect it, but I did. I found it interesting, and I think I agree with them. Like, well, I don't know. I, th- I think it's really between the two. I mean, I don't like look to comedians as like role models or someone to like tell me how to behave. But there is there is the thing when a comedian has the perfect joke that like encapsulates a feeling you're having about society. For sure, you know, and the joke really says the what thing you're feeling in a clever way, and um, that can really like that could really propel an idea forward when it's wrapped up in a nice little joke or something. Absolutely. Like, I think that, I think, yeah, absolutely. Comedians can have like incredibly keen, incisive observations on the human condition and can point things out and really, to your point, like wrap it up really neatly in a bow and really put it out there. So I'm not saying that it's like, well, they are absolutely the philosophers or they are not. I, there are absolutely valid things that they, they provide and really, interesting things and i've i've learned a lot of things about like the world honestly from just stand-up routines and insights from that but but also to your point it's not everything also it's it's just somewhere in the middle like everything else yeah exactly um 
I mean, but Carlin was good at it. Carlin was like one of my guys when I did. You like him when you were a kid, or was was it were you the wrong age to really be swept up in with Carlin? Because I feel like he had his time, and then he had time when he wasn't really at the forefront. I was uh, see, I'm 38 now, so mm-hmm. I was there. I was like a teenager when he was in his like second come up, I guess. Okay, at that yeah. point, or when he was like the near the end when it, when he was coming back and he was. In the, the 90s, like the he was the elder. 90s. He was the elder statesman. The elder statesman yes. mode. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. So I saw that, and and I was like, and even when it was beyond like my complete understanding of what he was saying, and then you revisit, and you're like, holy shit, that guy had it, and he knew exactly what he was talking about, and either he saw it then, or it just reminds you that everything just repeats, everything comes in cycles, but mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. like, man, that, like, he is what he. In retrospect, I, I was just like, "Oh, that's what a stand-up comedian is." What he did. Yeah, I really I love that doc, uh, and it made me want to watch the Gary Shandling doc, which I guess Judd Apatow also did, and I've heard is similar and also good. I, I ha- which I hadn't watched. I mean, I don't know why, but I really like um, it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'll watch that next. But um, the Carlin one. So I was like a big Carlin fan. Like I was, um, I was a teenager in the '80s. And a, and a comedy fan, right? So I would buy like, you know, stand up albums from the used record store, uh, just to hear a lot of comedians. And Carlin was still big. I mean, he was really, as the documentary showed, he was successful and a, and a you know big comedian really his whole life. But in the eighties, he was still like one of the one of the main stand ups, right? Yeah. Like. You know, Robin Williams, Steve Martin, Cosby was still huge, and and Carlin was another one you would just throw out if you were listing big stand up comedians. Um, and like, so I I bought a bunch of his albums, uh, and watched his specials on HBO, Car- Carlin at Carnegie and stuff, and I really I really dug him. This is like when I was like eleven or twelve. Like I just I just I just thought he was so funny and smart and. He's got an album Class Clown that I could probably still recite. I saw him in I saw him three times. Oh wow! Um, once in the eighties when he was like, kind in in what the doc would say a sort of like spinning his wheels period, like doing a lot of his old jokes. They're going over really well, but he's maybe getting a little tired and hack. Yeah. Uh, so I saw him then, like eighty four. By the way, still a hilarious show. Crowd went nuts. It was really fun. Um, but I, I knew a lot of the routines, right? Like I was like, oh, I know that from this special. I know that from this special. He was playing the hits. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then I saw him again in 1990 and he's changed. He, he had moved into like anger, angry at society mode, less jokes, more yelling. It wasn't as fun. I kind of was put off by it. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't, didn't want to spend whatever money to come and just get yelled at by this old man. Right. Yeah. But I was like interested. I was like, I clocked. I was like, oh, he's he's switching it up. Like, um, and then I saw him again a couple years later, like 93, 94, another night of yelling. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like he went on abortion rights a lot. He was like on like pro abortion rights, like um, for like half of the time. And. Uh, and it. And I was like, oh, he's going crazy. Like, he's losing his mind. He's that's like, he's yeah. just, that, that's what it felt like to me. But when I saw the doc, it actually made me look at those differently. I was like, well, he was figuring something out. He was switching it up. 
he hadn't quite gotten to a place where he could make it as funny. Um, but I appreciated that, like, how many people when they – he could have just played the hits and gotten rooms to come watch him for another 15 years, you know? Yeah. Put no effort into it. Just show up and play your hit songs. That's probably what I even wanted in 92. Like, but I'm, like, I might not have enjoyed it, but I respect it. it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was like, oh, that is kind of rad. Um, and even even the Class Clown album, which came out like in the early 70s, which was like my favorite, that already was a second iteration of his career from like safer variety show stuff in the 60s. So I, the doc really made me appreciate that he was a guy who tried new things. Uh, and I was like, that's pretty rad. I, I like that. Yeah, I didn't realize the just the the different the amount of the amount of reinvention he had or the amount of times he had because i knew i knew that like the hippy dippy weatherman but in my mind it was like that into just george carlin you know i didn't know what that mm-hmm. was and what the different timelines mm-hmm. were in between that and i thought it did a really good job of in a very compelling way contextualizing that showing what he was going through I agree. what led to it and it was a it, it was about as it was as it was effectively as compelling as George Carlin himself was. Yeah, I agree. I re- I really dug it. I mean, I'm sure you know. It's a doc that his daughter's producing, so I'm sure they're glossing over bad stuff. You sure. know, it's a little bit of a praising, putting him on a pedestal thing. But I'm down for it, man. I loved Carlin. I don't mind it. I don't mind a doc that's that's into him. I, um. That's okay with me. I mean, I was wondering, was did he cheat on his wife? He must have, like on the road, superstar, rock star. Uh, he used to make jokes about sex, and he, but he's, but he got married quite young. Uh, but I don't know. I, but I, I don't necessarily need to know about that to appreciate his career as a comedian. But I was curious about it, and like, they also they mentioned his drug use. Yeah, but I think his drug use was bad. I mean, I think he was like, I, uh, I guess they did cover that, but I mean, I think he like lost a couple of years to just being just being kind of stoned <laughs> if they themselves uh, said it was bad it must have been very very bad right 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 so it's like if that's what they're willing to reveal then then assuming that's only a percentage like we're only seeing a percentage of the glacier that is yeah, exactly coke, it must be it must have been so so bad like to your point yeah just like lost years um yeah because it was the time surprised. when he was doing like new specials, like late 70s, early 80s. And then that all stopped all during the late 80s. And I think like he was doing some kind of recovery, rebuilding thing. Um, and then he showed up again as the angry guy yelling about abortion rights for an hour. Which, like I say, wasn't that fun, but it was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting and it's aged very well. Like his, you know, as much as it was of that time, you know, in... Actually, that's the thing, though. I, I guess it wasn't. I guess it was. He was, um, you know, communicating a, 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 not a vocal opinion, or at least probably in people in his position, vocalizing that to the degree that maybe he was. And now, unfortunately, it's a very relevant thing, you know, in this day and age. I think. Yeah. You know, clearly a brilliant guy and an incredibly progressive thinker. Um, and so then you see people yeah. on Twitter talking about like. Man, if George Carlin was alive today, he would have this. And I'm like, no, no, he would be ahead of all of this before us. Yeah, he would be offended. People would be annoyed 
the people that think they'd be championed by him, he would be annoyed by them because he would already be moved on to the next thing. So, like, if somebody was like, man, he'd be taking the piss out of Trump. Yeah, probably. I'm sure he would have a lot to say about Trump. But he also would have a lot to say about, like, the industry that's been created of people just hating Trump and making money off of, like, yeah. hating him. Uh, and then maybe even uh, he, he'd find a way to piss off everybody, I bet. <laughs> I think, so. I think yeah. you know, even the people who like him would probably dismiss him to a certain extent because he'd be saying things that were before they were relevant. You know, like he'd be ahead enough mm-hmm, to where mm-hmm. be like, oh, okay, that's not a reasonable fear. And then... Like five years later, they're like, "Oh shit, okay, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that I mean, tweet, he, that tweet, okay, there you go." I think he was also wrong sometimes. I mean, like, sure. just like anybody, like, uh, not all of his stuff has aged to the point where you're like, "Oh, he saw it coming." Like, um, he was also just trying to make a buck and make a joke, and he filtered things, um, into what he thought would be jokes, and he didn't. He didn't. T- there's lots of stuff he didn't talk about. He didn't tackle. And he even said in that documentary that in the 90s, he's, he's like, he said something like, I'm removing myself from any responsibility of fixing things. I'm just enjoying watching it as entertainment. Um, so in other words, he didn't, he wasn't like politically active and, you know, he didn't like support candidates or like lobby for causes. He just said, you know, it's fucked up that we do X. Yeah. And left it at that. And I think there's a lot of like, uh, in the world of comedy, like, are you a political activist? Are you doing good with your um, platform? And I think he would have rejected that hard. And that would have pissed everybody off. I think uh, so, too. And I, w- I would have loved it. I would have loved watching it. <laughs> I think he would have been a very, like, separate the art from the artist person. I think so, too. Yeah. And, I mean, and, you know, there, there are, you know, it's like anything else. It's like... Uh, they're like fair enough for plenty of things with that, but at the same time, there are exceptions to every rule, and some people you just can't separate that from. But you know, he would have. Um, I think he, you know, a part of me almost just said, I think he would have pissed a lot of people off and relished it. But in retrospect, I think he would have pissed a lot of people off and not given a shit one way or the other. Yeah, I w- it would have been real interesting, interesting to to see. Um, uh, yeah, I love that doc. I'm gonna. I, gotta... I did too. I'm I'm glad. Yeah, somebody recommended it to me, and I'm glad they did. I really got into it. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it, and um, thank you that now that I saw a documentary as part of the uh, Tribeca Film Festival, like the Tribeca at Home that I've been doing, mm-hmm. just the virtual part of it, and it's still going okay. on. But it's a documentary I think you'd be interested in, and oh, it's yeah. called The Lost Weekend: A Love Story. And Is it John Lennon? Yeah, it's all about it's it's um completely narrated by May Pang. Oh, I do want to see that. I yeah. love May Pang. And it's uh, her chronicling the 18 months of them together. And they have, uh, you know, it's it's her narrating the entire thing. So they have different like interviews with her, like sh- showing her a lot of oh, photographs. They have animated sequences. It's really cool. Really well done. It's really interesting. I got to see it. That's a, I'm, I didn't know about that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I had no idea it was a thing. Um, as somebody who just like... You know, grew up in a Beatles household, so anything Beatles related, I'm like, I'm there. What's going on with that? <laughs> Let me look at it. And when that popped up in the little queue that I had, I was like, Oh, I'll watch this immediately. And it's really well done. And you know, it definitely doesn't paint Yoko in a very positive light at all. Um, yeah, I, yeah, which I totally, uh, I, I agree with. I mean, I, 
I I think fully demonizing anybody is unfair, sure. and I don't think that Yoko is evil, and I don't think she is to blame for decisions that John Lennon made. That's silly. Um, I, but I think their relationship was pretty toxic and codependent and not cool. Uh, even, even if there was like genuine attraction and interest there at the heart of it, uh, you know, something healthy mixed in. Um, that was a fucked up. That was a fucked up couple. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not. I don't agree in sanctifying it. I mean, at the same time, lots of fucked up couples in the world, and good things can come out of it. And Sean Lennon seems like a, a sweet guy, um, and. Uh, I, I'm not on the I hate Yoko train. I think that's distasteful and kind of mean. But it's like she's fucked up. <laughs> that, their relationship was fucked up. Like that was, it was Kratos nuts. Um, I, I think you can say that without demonizing either of them. For sure. I, it does um, seem like that they brought out the best and absolute worst in each other. And I mean, it's codependency. Like, yeah, John Lennon was had a, such a. Uh, traumatized childhood uh, i think people don't i think people really underestimate like how unmoored he was as a person because of his childhood uh, and he wanted he needed whoever was in his life to be there 100 percent, or he didn't feel safe and it was the beatles the beatles were there 100 percent, like the band um and then when when the other band members wanted some space he freaked out and found a woman who would be there 100 percent you know, obsessive addiction, codependency, and that was Yoko. Um, and because John was a charismatic, smart, millionaire, you know, uh, master of songwriting, he didn't have to grow emotionally. He could just find yeah. somebody <laughs> to do whatever he needed. Um, and so, I don't know. I One of the many, many, many tragic uh, consequences of John's murder is that I, I wonder if he would have evolved and calmed and I kind of believe he would have and like he and Yoko would have separated and maybe he and Sean would have he would have found stability with his son and like chilled out a little bit yeah. and not needed a codependent thing in his life uh, I'd like to think that would have happened the weird part is I have obviously no basis for it but that's what my gut tells me I f- like yeah. I feel that I feel strongly that would be the case and maybe again that's just the the Beatles fan and all the reverence for everything, all the joy and delight that he's brought brought me over the years. But you know, yeah. in, in the documentary, they definitely painted as to Yoko May was a pawn in all of that, mm-hmm. and she was very you know Yoko was very manipulative and gaslighting and just doing different things and like, but at the same time, like f- from afar, still using May, May to comfort John, like saying like. You need to go see him when when he and May broke up. Like, he cannot be alone. You know, so even yeah. then it was still, she was conscious of who John was and what he required and knowing that May could give him that too, which was an yeah. interesting dichotomy. It's um, it's really well done. And also, like, how May and, and Julian are still very close. And you see them, like, oh, hugging in there. It was really, really nice. That's very sweet. Yeah. Uh, Julian got a raw deal and all that, to say the least. No joke. But I think there are people who feel that and who who've given him love and appreciation, which I, you know, it's not his fault that his dad was a complete mess. No, no, that he was, you know, much as you try to extricate yourself from that, how you can just subject people to that very same thing just because of what you went through and how that metastasizes within you. It's so insidious, stuff like that. But 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that man. Um, I I don't. I'm fascinated by the Beatles. I love reading about them and the stories. I love their music. Uh, but at the same time, I don't like putting any of them on pedestals. I think that's just false. They're all, you know, broken the way all humans are. And and because of becoming rich and famous idols at quite young ages, they didn't have to heal the way like real life makes a lot of the rest of us have to heal. Yeah. And so that kind of makes them more interesting in a way. But uh, like, you know, it's pretty easy for me to believe that John Lennon was both a just an incredibly good pop songwriter, an interesting, smart guy, and a jerk a lot of the times to a lot of people, like really hurtful to a lot of people in his life, um, because he was hurt and he didn't, and he and his coping mechanisms were not great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, to me, all those live in my head; they don't contradict with each other at all. And I still love the song "Imagine," and I still love "Jealous Guy" and lots of stuff. No, I completely agree. Like these are people that haven't known reality since they were teenagers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, of course they wouldn't understand any of that. I mean, and even that reality, they were poor. Yeah. Uh, neglected and scared. Like they, they never had like calm times. <laughs> you know, if somebody like that came off normal, it would be more unsettling than if they came off. I mean, that's otherwise. Paul. Like Paul comes off as so normal and suburban, but I actually think he's just super driven and like as a robot, has constructed what he thinks a normal life looks like. He's like, hmm, I think this must be normal. I will have a wife and I will have children and I will make that happen. Just workmanlike uh, towards his persona. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just like just like I checked the boxes of a normal family life. There, I have done it. This is a normal family. And uh, he does seem to be like a, a decent man and like a, a sweet guy, but I he's messed up in his own way too. I mean, I think he's a lot less hurtful than John Lennon is, but I, I bet you he's a bossy taskmaster not not evil or anything just like i think he probably gets up at five in the morning and starts issuing orders to everybody and he's got a little team that is there to do it and that's how he's used his money and influence god bless him more power to him but i'm sure to hang around paul mccartney is exhausting (laughs) god i can't imagine yeah you know to your point though like in interviews he does this what is of course it's false humility at least to a certain extent, I'm like, yeah, we were just four boys from Liverpool, like that type of stuff. And you're like, come on. But he doesn't yeah, yeah, do yeah. it in an off-putting way. No, and not at all. I, I love him. I love. I, I do too. I, like and, I have no. I, I love him to death. But to your, but let's not also pretend you yeah, know, that people don't just, walk on eggshells around him every day. Yeah, yeah, and that can't like mess you up a little bit. I mean, like, yeah, he definitely puts on like, yeah, just a normal guy. It's like you're not. What are you kidding me? You own the rights to Happy Birthday. You're not a normal guy. What is normal like, to you? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like come uh, on. you've never had a normal life. Um, <laughs> exactly, but uh, but he does seem to be like a decent person and like a, a, an honest guy who like who uh, gives you know, and he seems to really take care of his family and his. I, I don't know. Absolutely, I, I bet you he's really fun to play music with because he's so good. But I bet you he's annoying after the show. Like, I bet you he gives. I don't know. I I do improv, right? So I've had people multiple times ask me what the Beatles would be like as improvisers. Oh, interesting. And Paul would be a nightmare. Uh, he'd be <laughs> very funny on stage, but he would not be able to adapt to any surprises. And then backstage, he would give notes to everybody on what they did wrong. I um, could see that 100%. You know? But, like, be really talented. Like, be this, like, clearly, clearly, like, talented guy. But you'd never want to be on an improv team with Paul McCartney. He would just be telling you what to do all the time. It'd be <laughs> annoying. Yeah, just the, the idea of... 
rigidity around a free-flowing art form. Yep. And just Ringo wanting... Ringo would be the best improviser, I think, by far. He also was the best actor. He was like the most natural performer of those guys. I mean, that was not their main skill, so it doesn't matter. But like, if you were casting somebody in a movie, cast Ringo. He would be the best actor. Agreed. I've, I've seen that movie Caveman. I saw that when I was a kid so many times. Yeah, I saw it too. So many He's times. He's good in it. I really enjoyed that movie. I remember as yeah, a, me too. It's all right. As a kid watching that, and it was that scene where he was frozen, and then the joke was that he was peeing ice cubes. Yeah, and that kind of blew my mind as a child. Like, how does that work? Yeah, I love it. I, love <laughs> I enjoyed it. it so much. Yeah. Um, did the? Oh, let me uh, let me. I almost asked a question, but let me let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me see this. Um, do you do you ever? How how are you doing? Do you do you ever get a chance to talk about you on these things? Uh, you've you've done so many. What episode number is this? Do you know offhand? This is number ninety eight. This will be one ninety eight. So, like, do you get a chance to talk about yourself, or do you kind of enjoy just putting the spotlight on the other person? I sometimes it comes up. It's one of those things where, like, if somebody asks, I'll I'll answer. The funny thing is that when you do this show, that I, I'm so busy thinking of the other person, that yeah, yeah, then I are... then I don't know. I'm like, well, how am I? You know, I have to think. Of, I have to really think <laughs> about that answer, and then and then I feel like I inevitably give deeply uninteresting answers. I, I I feel that uh, also, but I, you are, you are a really good conversationalist, and I really do appreciate. Oh, I'll say this: I appreciate that I can really tell that no matter what I say, you do try to like be empathetic to that point of view, and to at least temporarily be like, "Oh, I can see that," or "Yeah, I can." You you try to restate it in a nice way. It's very it's very um, satisfying. Is it to okay, do these conversations? Good. Yeah, I think like um, to whatever. I mean, I'm no expert, but I feel like you're a good uh, interviewer. I feel like oh, thank uh, you. I, that's one reason why I, I, I wanted to do it again. Uh, and I'm so sorry that we had scheduling difficulties because oh, yeah, of my own nothing. space cadet nature. But I was like, oh, yeah, it was like a very, very pleasant conversation. And I, I have trouble doing that. I have trouble um, doing what you're doing, which is just sort of like keep the focus on the other person, restate what they just said in a sympathetic way. Um, not sy- not sympathetic, like compassionate, but just like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Here's what you're trying to say, kind of response. Well, um, it's you know, you're, I, you're good at that, so oh, I, I do you. appreciate it. No, I I appreciate those words, but yeah, it's the funny thing is that I'm not I'm not really doing anything. It's like not nothing I wouldn't probably ordinarily do. I know that sometimes in life I summarize what other people say also to make sure I'm following them. If that makes sense, like mm-hmm. in a way about like does this like. Oh, yeah, so like that, 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 that. Not to be like, is this what you meant to say? But just more of a, am Mm -hmm. I understanding you so I can follow with you type thing. Um, And, you know, doing this podcast has been a fun test of, like, you know, it's like being in the minor leagues and going to the major leagues. You're like, if if I'm, like, pretty good at parties at this, like, but but how about other people from other walks of life? Does this translate? Mm -hmm. We'll see. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. feels like, yeah, pretty decent, I think. Yeah, Hopefully. I think so. Knock on what, um, do you have a job? Do you have like do you do a, do you have a job or are you just are you a, f- uh, a freelance creative type? I'm I'm on disability, so I don't have a job. I'm very lucky in that regard. Oh, okay. I'm not have I'm in the se- I'm not lucky in the disability side, but I'm definitely lucky in the not having to a day job. worry about you know money day to day or you know worry about going yeah. into an office and dealing with COVID. You know, I can deal with it a little bit more in my own terms i suppose so okay okay yeah very lucky that, well that i um i do think you're lucky and i think that's good i mean uh 
day jobs are a real drag. Like uh, I, I haven't had one in some time. Um, but I had to make like kind of sacrifices and life choices to not have to go into the office. Yeah. Um, you know, I have financial insecurity and up years and down years and I've had trouble for various reasons. I've, I've always had trouble like having a romantic partner. And one of the factors, not the only factor, but mm-hmm. one of the factors is I feel very insecure as a financial provider. Mm. You know, I'd be like scared to hold somebody else up financially because I sort of only I make enough money to float myself pretty comfortably. But part of that is I can live small if I need to. And at, at a moment's notice, you yeah. Know? He's like, yeah, your budget's defined, yeah. Yeah, if I crash my car, God forbid, and I suddenly need to spend like $6,000, all right, that's that's kind of a huge hit. But I can do it. I'll just live kind of small for a while. Uh, That's totally all right. You know, no more traveling, no more eating out. Um, Teach a couple more improv classes. Push for a little more of this, that, or the other. But if I'm living with somebody else and a five or $6,000 ding – I have to ask them to change their lifestyle. I feel weird about that. Like, um, it's a minimal ripple effect. It's just you. Yeah. Yeah. I can deal with that, you know, at least. Yeah, exactly. So, but I do value, uh, the freedom I feel from not having a day job. Like it, it is like, um, it's a nice, it's a nice thing. Uh, and I try to use that time to make a lot of stuff and I guess you're making this podcast. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's very exciting, you know. It's a very fun thing to do, but to your point, like I, uh, I, I was in an office for like thirteen years, and it was terrible. I, I hated yeah. it. I really did not enjoy it, and I did it, and I pretty much had a mental breakdown from doing it. Uh, yeah. Which, and you know, when you are so used to this, the structure of what it is or what it is, and once you're out of it to a certain extent, you realize just. Certain elements of it that are just so fucking silly. Like, so, you know, these things that we just do because we have done them or that we bought into with what it is or how they treat people and how that somehow holds sway within, you know, a box of a building <laughs> and then outside of it. You know, it's such a, uh, there's, I'm trying to summarize a thing that's an incredibly complicated, nuanced thing that I have a lot of thoughts on. But yeah, yeah. it's, um, I I never really enjoyed it, and it was a miserable experience. I never did either. Like, I just think it's so nuts how many people. I mean, I do understand why people do it, but I sort of don't. It's like you're giving up your life. You're giving up like so many hours of your day to sit somewhere to to help somebody else get their dream. Yeah, and it's just too much time. Uh, I think day jobs would be all right if it was like you know I'm I don't know what the right answer is, but like four day work week. Uh, nine to one instead of nine to five something like that like so there there is a compromise that i could think would be fair but like i was always like you i gotta come in at nine thirty, and i don't leave until seven and you're gonna pay me not enough money to buy property and i have to pretend to be psyched about it yeah i have to like really pretend to be into it all the time like fuck this man i can't do this because <laughs> a lot of it just boils down to at least from my own experience of them just trying it's, it's just control it's just reminding yeah, it it's control. just reminding it's you of you do this because we tell you to this and this is what we pay you for you know it's just all about them controlling you and you buying into this hierarchy and i know that's almost sounds like conspiratorial but i from my experience in the place it is absolutely that you know like 
the second I know for that for this place specifically, the second that it was uh, even possible to go back instead of working from home, go back in the office, they made it because that's how they establish it. And it's just this thing of just like fuck you, like <laughs> this is not. It's like sometimes you can be alive but not living and. If you have the option of not working in an office, dear God, I recommend it because yeah, me too. it really is but a there miserable is a trade-off. Thing. Sure. There is a trade-off. Like some, some, I guess some people, they kind of don't mind being told, hey, this is what I'm doing today. All right, I'll do it. And hey, I'm getting some decent money and some benefits. Okay. Some yeah, people you like know, the structure. Good, that's, and that's fair enough. That's a good trade for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. So I don't mean to shit on someone who's happy doing it. No. But for me, it was baffling. I was like, there is no, there is no way I can do this. Yeah, um, it, um, yeah it definitely was a thing where kind of in a weird way to the self-perpetuating nature of like once I realized how miserable I was I it's all I felt like I couldn't ignore it I couldn't get lost in a thing and I'm like and it just was like nails on a chalkboard it was just intolerable it was just yeah I couldn't do it anymore yeah and I agree and then they made that decision for me and then and then I was like okay well I guess I'm free at least you know yeah so anyway and that's why we're here yeah, well, I'm, really, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're doing it, and I really am impressed with how many episodes you have, and I applaud it. Oh, thank I, you. I hope, I hope you keep going. Like, I, I've done a lot of podcasts, and I, you, you know, there's, there's often the urge to kind of hang it up and um, be like, what am I doing this for? I'm going to quit this shit. It's annoying. It happens. <laughs> but um, oh, yeah. but uh, I think, I mean, and you know what? If it's the right time to end it, that happens too. But, like, don't just let the mundane doldrums make you quit it, like, I think you got a good thing going. Thank you. Yeah, and I think I think it'll lead to other projects. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know about financially lucrative projects. I don't know about that, but like creatively satisfying. I think this will like you'll be like, oh, you know what? I should do a short little doc series interviewing these kind of people. Maybe I'm you know I'm making that up just out of the well, air. But, but you like, can build I, like I see, you know, I could, confidence I and momentum for sure. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. About like, like how could, about how can I? Oh well, I have this is fun, but what other interests do I have? And maybe I can do that. Like. You know, you have screw it. We're just going to talk about the Beatles and the and yours about comic books as well. And it's like, yeah, these are two things that I love thinking about, talking to people about. It's a pretty natural progression. Well, I'll say like, I'm doing this podcast with Scott Ackerman's CBB World, and it's called "You Can't Handle the Sleuths." I love it, and it's improvised murder mystery. Oh, thank you. I'll tell. I I love it too, but um. I don't think it's like perfect by any stretch and it's like a challenge to try to think of like how to do it, how to like produce it, how to structure it, yeah. um, how to get a nice balance between like improvised mayhem, but some sort of control. It's Ackerman does it really well for the bang bang show. Um, you know, when he has for a while, I, I don't find it as easy to like hit that balance, but I love the challenge of it. Um, it's a real puzzle piece and, of a show, yeah. It's a real so it's complicated, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm trying to simplify it, and I really like that challenge, and I like working on it. And we'll record an episode, and then I'll go back and listen and do some very minor edits. I don't think there should be many edits because I think part of the fun is that you know all the work is shown. But we'll do like some sound effects, and I'll add in some commentary after the fact. Not much, but. And then, the, and then I'll adjust it for the next show, and it really might end up being that Sleuths is a project that I just do to learn how to do a better one next. Hmm. Like I sort of think that Sleuths will not be a long-lasting thing, 
it, it might not if Scott doesn't want it to be. It also might not if I run out of gas on it. But I'm definitely trying to use it to learn how to like run an improvised podcast better. And it's a challenge. But I'm given this great opportunity. like Because it's on CBB World and it's got Scott's endorsement, I can get some great improvisers uh, like Paul F. Tompkins or Dan Lippert or whoever um, and really put a lot of firepower into the show. And I the reason I bring this up is this is so this is a thing that I'm working on that I really enjoy, right? That it's like satisfying. It's a good challenge. I didn't know that it was going to happen. Yeah. Like last September, Scott and Brett Morris just started CBBWorld.com because they wanted more creative freedom than they had at Earwolf. Um, okay, that's news to me. And then they, uh, Scott invites me to do a show. Uh, again, don't know how long that will last. I don't, I don't want to ever presume anything. But that was out of nowhere. You know, he just emailed me. He's like, hey, would you want to do one of these podcasts we're, we're doing? I was like, oh, yeah. And you don't know, you know, two months before December, I have no, that's not even on my horizon yeah. of what I'm worried about. Right. And now it's kind of a cool thing I'm working on. Uh, so hopefully there'll be other things. And I, and I think doing stuff leads to more things coming. So you doing this podcast will lead to something, even if it's just you saying Oh, you know what? For my next episode of this podcast, I'm going to try to get this kind of person and talk to them or, you know, whatever. I'm sure that's already happened. But, like, uh, I applaud you doing it, and I'm excited to see what it leads to, I guess. Oh, thank you. Um, I I really do appreciate it. And to your point about, like, um, the Sluice, I love that show. I think it's a very fun. It seems like a really maybe in the moment kind of a difficult thing to do to keep up with all the threads while also having the through line of who did it. That it feels right, really, right. it feels like, like I, I guess the, the bright spot about you doing improv for so long is you can be in the moment to that degree, but you're also having to do a lot of heavy lifting and uh, having amazing improviser with you obviously helps quite a bit for anybody. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because there's so many funny people. so good. They can keep track of stuff that I've forgotten and they can quickly sew stuff up that I'm not tending to. So it's a real high wire act. It's really impressive. I, I love it. And, uh, and, I love that that very high wire act. It almost just, but I want it to be. I'm I'm trying to make it better. I'm trying to like make it simpler to do. I think I'm on my way to do it. If we get a couple more eps, uh, which I think we will, uh, I'm looking forward to smoothing it out. Uh, I'm. I mean, I've loved every episode, so I'm really enjoying it. But then every episode I finish it, I'm like, well, it was partly successful and partly not successful. <laughs> I think, the, the Reddit I think and uh, Discord communities around Earwolf are, are generally really nice. Uh, I don't think it is their obligation to be nice. If somebody doesn't like a thing, that doesn't offend me. Sure, but um, um, they they generally are really nice. But there there is a thing when you read discussion of a creative work that you're doing. Uh, people act like, oh, how can the creators stand by this product? You know, it's got these flaws. How how could they have made this thing with flaws? And it's like, well, we don't we didn't mean to. It's like did the best we could, you know, uh, uh, to bring it back to the Beatles. I feel like people would interview Paul in the seventies about wings and they'd be like, you know, the wings is not as good as the Beatles. Right. And his answer was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like <laughs> I, the Beatles broke up. Like I can't do anything about that. Like this is what I got tonight. It's also like if somebody asks a question like that or, or, or says, you know, this is imperfect. Why put that out? If somebody can reasonably respond to that with, and 
then it's not a very good question. You, you know, because like, what are you going to do? And also, though, by the way, like, how do you know that's not the intent? You know, yeah, like, exactly. this, you know, like Paul was trying to establish independence from the Beatles <laughs> like, at that time. Like all of this, you know, regardless of whether it's a podcast, a TV show, anything, it's like, okay, just because you observe that and it goes against what you consider to be correct, it doesn't mean it's wrong if that's what they intended. Or it yeah. could just be a happy accident, which in and of itself, like, like I guess it was out to like, oh, who gives a shit? <laughs> Enjoy it or don't, you know, which to your point, like, I don't have a problem with criticism at all. But I would like it to be constructive. Yeah, it should be like part of a conversation. Like criticism can be helpful if it's if it's like, I mean, basically if it's right. I mean, that's like a weird thing to put on it. But like if it's right. Um, I, I, I read some discussion of an early Bang Bang episode I did. And somebody was like, Will Hines, yes and's too much. It goes all over the place too much. <laughs> and I thought about it and I was like, I think that might be right, actually. Yeah. I think I... I think I, that's true. I really enjoy yes anything. I really enjoy going in a direction I hadn't planned. But if you do it too much, then it's like, and there's too many, there's too much clay on the potter's wheel. There's like just like too much stuff. Hmm. You gotta, you gotta like try to only hit a couple of things. And I was like, I think that's actually kind of good advice. So it was a criticism, but I think it was right. That's interesting. And I thought it was kind of thoughtful. Um, so I guess. I don't know, like criticism. I, th I remember Kevin Smith once saying that he read a review of either Clerks or Mall Rats that he found uh, in the Village Voice, and he found it genuinely helpful. And uh, critics can be great if they are actually good at analyzing the thing they're criticizing. Trouble is, you know, Twitter and Reddit has given everybody a platform, so you get just tons of idiots who are like, you know, just y using it just knocking stuff down to make themselves feel big, but they have nothing to say, really. Yeah, Twitter definitely is a place with with regard to, you know, quote-unquote criticism. It's It seems to largely be coming from a very self-serving place and not yeah, the earnestness of, yeah, of, I earnestly want this to be better and this is what I think in earnest. You know, it's like it's, it, yeah. it seems to reflect more of them than any kind of objective criticism. Yeah, there's like on Twitter it could just be like, um... Saw that show. How about not more of that or something? Yeah. And it's like they're just trying to be kind of, um, you know, cute or whatever. And uh, yeah, whatever. That's I mean, Twitter. Do whatever you want. But I'm like, that is valueless. That is a zero calorie conversation. So you're screaming into the void, even more so by somehow by Twitter standards. You're yeah. screaming into the void, and like it's, you know, you're, you're, what it boils down to is I didn't like how that made me feel. So. No, so that's invalid in that regard. Yeah, or I just want to feel big by yeah. knocking something down. I just want to be contrary because it's kind of fun or makes you feel big or whatever. And again, you're allowed. It's Twitter, but I'm like that is dumb. Like you are adding nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's it is for me. Like, um, yeah, that that is a you wasted everyone's time, yourself, everyone by posting that, by thinking that, by pondering that. But also, like, oh, who gives a shit? Do your thing. It doesn't matter. It's whatever. And, you know, uh, at the very least, hopefully the filmmakers don't see it and get negatively affected by it, seeing a thing that, again, screaming into the void. And it is what it is. Yeah. It's, it'll be okay. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, a huge problem in society. But I'll, I'll say as somebody who makes something, um, 
thoughtful thoughtful criticism is really nice. I guess it just depends on what your attention is. If you're trying to like look, if you're trying to knock it down for fun and mock it, yeah. I don't know. Don't do it unless that person's buying a house off of their art. Uh, but if you're like, oh, I got some, I have I have a thoughtful thing to say. I've listened to a lot of these, and I and I'm a I'm a fan of it. And and here's my thoughts on it. I think that's all right. I agree. I like uh, I like uh, improving. I think that's fun. I think yeah, getting better at something and feeling like more confident in it and trying to, you know, accomplish whatever it is you might be whether to accomplish whether you can even verbalize that or not. I love that, and I like feeling like you're getting better at something. <clears throat> There's some Reddit thread that showed up in a in a in a Earwolf subreddit that was like, I don't find Will Hines funny is what it was called. <laughs> and I saw that and I was like, oh my God, what's this? And I clicked into it and it like wasn't so bad. It was like, it was like somebody being like, look, a lot of people seem to like him. What am I missing? And it, and then people were like, <laughs> people were sort of like, well, yeah, you know, here's his drawbacks. And like, these, <laughs> these are things that aren't good, but here's things that I do like about it. And here's why I think other people like him. And they kind of had this, honestly, given how ugly and mean a thread with that title could have been, I was like, oh, I couldn't ask for any better version of this. This is just, it's almost like I'm a real famous person yeah. and they're trying to figure out why I have appeal. I, I am not a real famous person, or at least I, I have no uh, financial and career benefits from whatever weird podcast fame I have. But I thought it kind of, I was kind of flattered. I was like, oh, they're. They're talking about me like I'm a real comedian. I, I kind of dig it. That is nice. So I, I, I try to not. I'm somebody we're I mean, talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I love the attention. <laughs> um, I, I, there's been so very few occasions of somebody being out and out mean, but sometimes it happens, and yeah, I just try not to, not to worry about it. I mean, honestly, I, I, I like being a comedian and a performer, and I think part of that means you got to let people talk shit about you, or or you're not up for the job. Yeah. Uh, you have to have enough confidence in yourself to just be like, yeah, you know what? You're allowed to not like, you can not like me. That's all right. I, 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 I accept that. <laughs> I can abide people being bored by me. Uh, as long as I'm interested in me, it's all, that, that's what I have to go on. People are talking about me. And, gra yeah. and granted, on the internet, that could be a bad thing. If you're the Twitter person of the day, for example, that's probably not great. But on a Reddit thread where somebody's in earnest trying to figure out, like, this is a person people love and they love hearing me on podcasts and it just doesn't click with me for some reason. Can earnestly, can somebody inform me? Like, what is it? Like, help me, you know, help me uh, get a through line here so I can get it. Cause I really want to, that's, that's, you know, that's a uh, fair enough. No one is for everyone, but yeah. that's also nice to be like, okay, that wasn't that bad at all. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've had, I've had not such a bad experience in that way. That's good. Well, yeah. hopefully this was an okay experience for you as well. As we uh, have to wrap it, it up. That's, Let's wrap it up. That's my right subtle then. transition. That's great. That's <laughs> a, not, that's a, nothing like a clear and direct transition. Got to find it somewhere. But um, <laughs> I also don't want to keep up, take more of your time because we're running up against your out, or not your hard yeah, out, yeah. but your out nonetheless that I promised you. Yeah. But, um, yeah, what gotcha. all do you want to point people toward? Before we wrap it up. Well, if people want to like follow Will Hines Enterprises, probably the best way is my Instagram, which is Willie B. Hines, W-I-L-L-I-E-B-H-I-N-E-S. And that's kind of where I plug my stuff uh, that I'm working on. So if you're like, what's this guy doing? Like that, that's, that's where you'll find most of it. Um, and then I have a website, willhines.net, that kind of lists past stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're 
curious about the the Wilhelm's world, those are places to look. Perfect, and I'll link all that oh. with the web with the hey. episode. Okay, great, and I'll say check out you can't handle the sleuths if you are a subscriber to CBB World. Um, please check it out. Or if you've considered perhaps subscribing to CBB world, please do. And then check out, you can't handle the sleuths. There really is a lot of fun stuff there. So I'm a fan of it. There's a lot of great content, you know, even just, uh, you can't handle the sleuths notwithstanding. There's a lot of great stuff. It's absolutely worth, worth getting. Cause they have a, a lot, they have, they have something for everyone. Really. It's a lot of great they have stuff. There's something for everyone. There's pretty, there's a really inexpensive tier at the bottom that gets you most of it. And I think, I, I think that's a great, a great buy. Agreed. To t- try it out. So Agreed. And thank you again for That's doing my this. my rec. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now we go to the landing this podcast airplane. Thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please take care. Please get vaccinated and or boosted if you're not. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Lead with empathy and it's okay to not be okay. But thank you again. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.